Well, the 27th, we won't necessarily have a, uh, a special guest here per se, but Pastor Katie is pretty special, and we will get to have the privilege and the honor of hearing from her on December 27th. And how many are tired of listening to Pastor Gary talk? Ronan, you are my hero. You know, Ronan has got to be one of my biggest cheerleaders. Because no matter what I ask, he's like, yes, I'm there, I'm for it, let me know. And so when I say things like, like I just said, he agrees with me, and it's just amazing. Every pastor needs someone in their church to yell the amens, the preach-its, the yeah, the yeahs, the come-ons, like, come on. We need that feedback. And so Ronan, he's my guy. So thanks, man. And apparently Jim, too, but we don't talk about Jim. Because that's just weird. Well, if you're wondering if we're going to read from the Bible today, the answer is yes. We are in church after all. And we're going to be reading from the book of Matthew. So you can get there if you want. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, I think, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Anyways, I'll let you know in a minute. But uh, you can head over there in just a minute. Uh, I don't know if you also noticed, but uh, we have a full house today. That's really cool. It's weird. Full house relative to our seating arrangement, of course. So, but it's awesome. I saw you having to like shift around a few couches, move a few things around. You know, it's all good. And uh, so thanks, Pastor Katie, for jumping in and helping. Although, we also have someone amazing in our presence today. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. But to my right, to the left side of the room today, you all just turned your heads to that direction over there. We have an amazing, amazing person with us today. I don't know if you know this, but Louise Bernard is in our presence. She came back. You know, she's going to tell you that she came back because her daughter's expecting soon. And then her other, you know, they're going to have a great moment together. Louise really came back to hear Pastor Gary preach. <laughs> no, we are so thrilled to have, have you vis- visiting, of course. We could convince you to move back, we would, but I don't think that's going to happen. But so good to have Louise back with us in person here in Terrace Bay. And uh, be sure to give her an extra high five, hello, a wave from a distance, and just let her know on the way out that you want her to see her come back again, okay? So we've missed you. We love you. We're so glad you're here. And Nicole, you have something to say? So the baby's born. Well, that's right. So when's the due date? January, no, December 29th? Oh, 14th, a way off. Okay, so the 12th is a really good day to have a baby. So, so the 12th is a really good day to have a baby, okay? It's my birthday. So. so we have Louise for like six weeks, four weeks-ish. Cool. Ish. Cool. That's awesome. Well, well, we're not here to talk totally about Louise, but we are really glad you're here. And Nicole, I'm sure you're ready to pop baby out anytime. I, I won't comment any further on that. Out of personal experience dealing with my own wonderful wife. Okay. Elizabeth has an announcement to make. When I, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. <laughs>
It's good. My face goes really red when I'm embarrassed. That was good. That's not even the first time I've done that. That's hilarious. Okay. Apparently, it's Nicole's birthday. Is that true? It was. Oh, well, it's, it's over. It's exciting. Happy birthday, Nicole. Oh, okay. That's all right. Well, well, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. That's awesome. Congratulations. Happy birthday. All right. Well, we're here to talk about another birthday today that is coming up. Uh, this is, I think, the third week we've talked about this. Uh, we've talked about fearing not. Do not be afraid. We're talking about when angels appeared toward people because angels are real beings that God created. They are not people. We've established that angels are not a bunch of little naked, cute babies on a cloud. That's not what an angel looks like. Uh, some of us look at our children and they say, oh, they're such angels, but we know you're lying. Um, some of us have the conception that when our loved one passes away, they go up to heaven and become an angel watching over us. And that makes us warm and fuzzy inside a little bit, brings us comfort. And now we can trust that God is taking care of our loved ones. Our loved ones don't become angels. God created humans different. And actually, I believe that God actually created humans on a higher level than angels. Because when he created us, he said, I created something that was very good. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't care about angels, but they have a different purpose in God's realm of being and thinking. But God, on, on occasion, has sent angels to be the spokesperson for him, to be a messenger from God. And so the last few weeks, we've talked about the, the appearance of angels to Mary. Now, an angel... Is, is actually a fierce, warlike type of creature. People that have said, I've seen an angel, you know, many times they've described it, and we know from other scriptures that, that angels are warriors. They're like God's army, and so we see them with a sword. Now, if an angel appeared to you standing in front of you, maybe not with the sword drawn, but a big, you know, creature of light that is very unfamiliar to you, what's going to be your reaction? You're going to be afraid. And so the first words that the angels come out of their mouths as they speak to Mary and today as we talk about Joseph, the words from the angels are, fear not. Do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. This is a good thing that I'm about to tell you. This is a good thing that is happening. And so last week we said, what do we do when we're afraid of what God is going to ask us to do? What do we do when we're afraid of what God asks us to do? Maybe God is just saying something as simple as, hey, why don't you sit somewhere else today in church? Uh, why don't you take a different route to church or a different route to work? Maybe it's just something as simple as, why don't you buy your neighbor their coffee or the person behind you in line their coffee today? Or it could be something as extreme as, hey, I want you to sell everything you have, move across the world, and start a church, start a ministry, start an orphanage, start a food bank, whatever it is. It could be any extremes. And some of those moments can be terrifying for us. Uh, it might be something in between of saying, 
of God speaking to you and saying, look, I want you to give something up so that someone else can have a little bit more that has a need. Or maybe they don't even have a need that you see, but God just speaks to your heart and says, look, I really need you. I would really like to use you to bless this person. And so I need you to be obedient to what I'm telling you to do so I can pour out my blessings on that person or individual. And so what we learned last week, and if you might remember if you were here, is that outcome is God's responsibility. Does anybody remember what ours is? Oh, wow. People knew the answer. Obedience. Outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. And if you want to go back and listen to that, you can do that on our website as well or YouTube or whatever. But... Moving on from what God asks us to do, moving on from being afraid, because we've dealt with that. If you're afraid of what God is asking you to do, go back and watch last week's message and work through that again. And we'll, go, we'll get there. Uh, what are we going to do, though, when we walk in obedience, because obedience is our responsibility, what are we going to do when God asks us to do something completely crazy? How are we going to handle this question? What are people going to think about me? If I do this, God, if I walk in obedience, if I start going to church and I never did it before, if I start giving money to the church and I never did that before, if I sell everything I own and move across an ocean, I'm not saying that God's going to tell you to do that, but when you walk in obedience, you walk in obedience and you just, as Mary said last week, I am the Lord's servant. So you never know. Don't be afraid to pray and ask because God's blessing comes with his provision and it comes with obedience so I just trust you walk with it but how do we handle the question what are people going to think about me now maybe some of you are really secure in who you are you just don't care okay I get it there's moments in my life where I go I don't care what people think of me I don't care how I look how I dress and I'm not a very good like I'm not the most stylish person in the world I don't, I don't know what's cool. I will never be a, someone that's cool. Uh, I will never be popular. I, I became a pastor so I could be popular. Isn't that how it works? Not quite. Not quite. But that doesn't mean I don't care what people think sometimes. And so how do we handle this question? What are we going to do when God asks me to do something that is outside of my realm of normal? And how am I going to handle the question, what are people going to think of me? Well, we're going to look at a story today that answers that question. Uh, here's some things that you may want to know uh, from a historical and cultural perspective. So back in the time when Jesus was born, culturally, if you were engaged to somebody, it basically meant that you were married to them. In fact, engagement was a binding agreement, and it lasted about a year. Now... I am totally not into this cultural thing. I was only engaged for six months. And I said, that's too long. We're getting married sooner than that. Actually, she said it, not me. But six months is long enough. If you wait more than a year, you're, you're ridiculous, okay? I can marry you faster than that. We just, we'll get it done. But culturally, it was about a year that you would be engaged. If you wanted to end the engagement, if you wanted to break off the engagement, it was basically the same thing as getting a divorce, you actually had to apply and, and go through the steps of a divorce in order to break off the engagement. I don't know if you've ever been engaged and broken it off before, but if you have, I'm, I'm, I'm bet you're glad that you didn't have to go through that process. And if one of the 
people died in the year of engagement, the other person was considered either a widow or a widower, depending obviously which one died. And so knowing that information will help us as we read this next verse today in Matthew 1, chapter 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. Thank you. I knew I was going to say it wrong. All right, so this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. In other words, she was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. Dum, 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 dum. <gasps> what? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, okay, then it's fine. Talk about an awkward conversation. Hey, Joseph, I'm, uh, I'm expecting. Hey, Joey, I'm expecting to have a baby, and it's not yours. Hey, Joseph, it gets worse and weirder than that. I'm pregnant because of the Holy Spirit. That would be a pretty intense moment, I think, in the relationship. That would be a little bit of a difficult news if my beautiful wife had come to me in the six months of our engagement. Maybe if it was a year, it would have happened because she's kind of like Mary because she's awesome like that. But we don't need another Messiah. Anyways. That's right. I'm already dug the hole. I might as well live in it. And if she had come to me and said, hey, Gary, I'm, I'm pregnant and it's not yours, and I'd be like, I know that because that's impossible, uh, I would be rather annoyed and broken and hurt, and I don't even know what I would do in that moment. I would be very confused. And that's exactly what's going on in this moment. Mary comes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant, not from you, because we've never slept together. I'm a virgin. But I'm pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think his response would have been, oh, okay, then that's fine. No, it wasn't. We'll learn in just a second what his response was. From the human perspective, we go like this. Mary is crazy and a liar. Okay, here's option number one. Like, what kind of story did she just come up with to, to, to kind of get out of this? That what? this? I don't believe this. She's either crazy and a liar or I'll just stay with her and deal with what people think. Or if I stay with her, what will people think of me? Now, from this moment on, both Mary and Joseph were marked. They were pegged as, as sinful, sinners, no good. This is what happened. They got themselves in trouble. And no matter what Joseph does in these next steps, he's marked for the rest of his life. You're the one who was engaged to Mary, who got pregnant out of wedlock, and that is on you forever. Have good luck finding a decent job. Good luck finding good friends without having to move away far away, which was not common to do. Good luck. They were marked from that moment on forever. So it really doesn't matter what Joseph's next step is. He will always be known as the guy who was engaged to the girl that got pregnant. So, verse 19, what should Joseph do? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, what we know from last week is that Mary is this incredible individual. She's this wonderful, young, happy girl, servant of God, willing to serve, willing just to love others and be kind and be nice and generous. There's a reason God chose her to be the mother of the Messiah. 
And so we obviously understand that Joseph deeply loves Mary. And he doesn't want to see harm come to her. In fact, the fact that she was pregnant out of wedlock meant that she could be stoned to death. She could be stoned to death. And he obviously has a crazy deep love for her. And he doesn't want to see that happen. So he says, well, to do the best that I can in the way that I know how in my own human strength, I will divorce her quietly. I won't make a big deal about it. I won't make a big show about it. We'll just make this simple, quiet little deal and move on from there. It was actually a very noble and honoring thing to do. What he's doing, he says, I'm not going to expose her to the public shame. But Joseph is about to learn one of the most important life lessons for those who want to honor God. So he wants to honor her. He wants to do the right thing. And he's about to learn the next step of honor. He's going to learn that pleasing God often means disappointing people. Pleasing God often means disappointing who? People. Pleasing God often means disappointing people. And so, he's in this struggle, he's in this battle, and God sees him in this struggle. He sees him battling back and forth. What am I supposed to do? Mary's pregnant, I honor her, I love her, I care for her deeply, I want to do what's best for her, but how do I do that? What are people going to say? What am I going to do now? And so we know that God doesn't leave him hanging in this moment. So, naturally, what does God do? He sends him a crazy, scary, wild beast that he's never seen before to come talk to him. And, of course, what does the angel say when the angel appears to Joseph? Fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. No matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, maybe we're at a crossroads ourselves, we don't know what our next step is going to be. And you're saying, God, give me a message. And if there's ever a message that God is going to give to you today, if you are walking in obedience to him, if you are trying to do what pleases God, if you are working to honor him, then no matter what you are going through, this I can guarantee you you will be God's response to you as you pray to him. He will say to you, fear not. It doesn't mean everything's just going to magically go away. Mary and Joseph had to go through quite a bit. We'll find out. And you can read for yourself later. But we know that no matter what circumstance we face, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. So here's what it says in Matthew 1, 20 to 21. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. And at this moment, he awakes from this dream, he awakes from this experience, and you can just imagine the pendulum of emotions swinging back and forth in his mind, in his heart, tugging his heartstrings one way, tugging them the next. You can just imagine the chaos going on inside of his mind. You know, he could go for centuries. It's been prophesied that a Messiah would come, that the angel of the Lord told me to be a part of the greatest moment in history. On the other hand, what is this going to cost me? What is going to happen? What, what is gonna, what's going to 
be of the son. You know, when I have a son, I'm going to name him after me and after my father. He's not going to be named Jesus. What do I do and what are people going to think? Should I do what people want or should I do what God is asking me to do? Should I do what people want or should I do what God is asking me to do? Pleasing God often means disappointing people. And we have to make that choice. And we all do. There's moments in our lives we're going to come at a crossroads and we're going to say, look, I know that this is the right thing. I know that this is the right step forward. And I know that by taking this step, I'm taking a step of faith because it means that people aren't going to like me. They're going to hate me. They're going to ridicule me. They're going to tease me. They're going to leave me out. They're not going to invite me over for family dinner anymore. All of these things are very real possibilities when we say yes to God and we say no to the desires of our flesh. I can guarantee you that if you follow Jesus, at some point, people are going to think that you're a little bit weird. I was already weird, so it was okay. I just was already awkward and weird, and I still am. I just try to be nice to people, and they like, okay, he's weird, but at least he's nice, okay? Now, you don't have to be weird to follow Jesus, but people are going to think weird things if you do. There's some really cool people that follow Jesus. I'm not one of them. It's just the reality. But at some point in our lives, we will have to be confronted with obeying God or doing something that gets the praise of people. And I guarantee you this. If you go for the praise of people, you will build yourself a pedestal, and it will be a pedestal built on pride. And what comes before a fall? Pride. The higher the pedestal, the higher the fall. The higher the fall, the deadly it is. And so if you go for the praise of people, it may feel good in the moment. I, Pastor Katie said, Pastor Gary likes words of affirmation. I like people to cheer me on. That's how I experience love and that's how I experience all of these things. I, I thrive on it. But if I do what I do to get the praise of people, I will surely fail. Uh, has anyone here tried to make two different people happy at the same time who want different things? Can you do it? Is it possible? Then why do it? You gotta try. But at some point, and then this is this is what we hear in our culture, and it's true to a point. Well, you gotta take care of yourself first. You gotta take care of yourself first. Well, I agree that you do have to look out for you, that you are responsible for the decisions that you make, because only you can make them. You know, I, I can make decisions for my kids, but they have to make the choice to listen to me. I really like it when they do. I really don't like it when they don't. But we're all responsible for the decisions that we make. We can't serve two masters. And at some point, we can try and try and try, but we're just going to fall apart. We're going to be split in two, and what does that leave us? It leaves us hurt, it leaves us broken, and it leaves us nowhere farther ahead than we thought we ever would be. It leaves us broken. It leaves us fallen. And it leaves us not serving anybody at that point. And so at some point, we're going to have to leave people that we love behind because they just haven't had that experience with God themselves. They just don't understand and they can't understand. This is where the power of prayer, this is where I think faith becomes a really big deal in our lives when we fully begin to understand what faith really is is when we have to make the decision to leave someone behind. But we don't really leave them behind. Because this is where we learn the lesson of prayer. 
So faith is taking the step, but prayer is putting our faith to say, God, would you help that person understand where I'm at in my faith, in my journey of following you? That they would follow you and know the hope that they can have with Jesus. Instead of throwing darts at me, instead of making fun of me, instead of shutting me out, God, would they invite you in so that they would understand where I'm at? And then when that happens, when God answers that prayer, he begins to build an amazing community and an amazing relationship that is centered around his will and not our own. That's a little bit of a rabbit trail for another day. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget about what God wants you to do. You know, this is a question that I, as a leader... As we've kind of gone through this transformation as a church, physically in our building, direction, name change, all of those kinds of things, it's a constant reminder, why do we do the things that we're doing? You know, yes, we want to make it a little bit nicer so that when people come, it doesn't feel like you walk into a time capsule. We want people to feel comfortable and warm and welcoming that they belong here, like it's, it's nice and everything. But that's really not what we're about. But we have to answer this question, am I doing this for God or am I doing this for the praise of people? Because the quickest way to forget about what God wants you to do is to start caring about what people think of you. When you start pleasing people and you get obsessed with what people think, it's the quickest way to forget about what God wants you to do. Becoming obsessed with what God thinks about you is the quickest way to forget about what people think of you. So, the same rings true but the other way and much better. The fastest way to stop caring about what people think of you is to go for the praise and the glory of God. Be obsessed with what God thinks of you. Now, no matter what, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're from, no matter what your name is, no matter what your gender is, no matter what your age is, let me tell you this one simple truth, and it can change your life the moment you believe it to be true. God loves you. God loves you. When he looks at you, he sees the beautiful child that he made in your mother's womb. It says that in Psalms, that God formed you in your mother's womb. The very first human that God created, he looked at everything else. He said, look, this is all good stuff. It's beautiful. There's animals. There's trees. There's lakes. There's rivers. All this stuff is beautiful. And yet he creates the human being, and he looks at it, and he says, now that is very good. And God doesn't tell you what to do because he's all-powerful and mighty and pulling strings like a puppet. God tells you to do something because he wants the very best for your life. God wants the very best for your life. He doesn't guarantee you that life isn't going to be hard. He doesn't promise that your bills are going to be paid and that you're not going to have debt anymore. He doesn't do any of that, although he will give you the tools to take you out of those situations. He will provide for all of your needs one way or the other. I fully believe it when you walk in obedience to him. But the moment we start praising and looking for the praise of people, we start to forget about what God wants. But the moment we understand that God loves us, the moment we understand that we have a purpose, the moment that we understand that God has something more for us in this life than we could ever dream up on our own, that is the moment where we start to care less about what people think about and we care more about what God thinks of us. This is great news. Living for the audience of one is the only way to grow past living for the approval of others. We certainly know we can't please everyone. So here's my advice, my instruction today. If you can't please everyone, 
you might as well just please God. You might as well just please God. It's not always easy, but you might as well just please God. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Living for God over living for people. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience, and that's okay if you're not. I get it. We're all there. It takes, it takes a little bit sometimes. It takes a few tries to build up our faith, to build up the courage. I get it. Some of us just aren't ready, and that's okay. But I pray that soon, very soon, you would be ready. Because to be used by God, we have to be ready to be criticized by people. Think of all the ways Mary and Joseph would have been criticized. Publicly disgraced again and again and again and again. You know, this child grows up, first day of school, the other parents, they're staring, they're looking, they're whispering, that's not really his baby. That's not really Joseph's son. You know, kids pick up on those kinds of things too, right? You know, they, they pick up on these kinds of things all the time. Think of all the ways they'd be criticized. I'm not sure how it would play out in your life, but there's probably going to be a time where God is going to require something of you that is culturally unpopular. And if you obey God, you're going to be criticized. Just the reality of following him. You know, some of us, we're going to hear that whisper, that voice. It's going to become a resounding, loud voice the more we ignore it of God saying to us, look, I want you to leave that high-paying job. Not saying that it's going to happen. There's very successful, wealthy Christians that are hardworking, that have built their way up. That's not saying that God's going to. But when he does, if he does, what is our response going to be? Sometimes the voice of God will say, hey, look, you really need to end that unhealthy relationship. You could read Facebook and it'll tell you that too, but it means more when it comes from God. But it's true. If we're in a toxic relationship, if we're in an abusive relationship, get out. Get out with all your might. Listen to the voice of God. When he tells you, move somewhere else, Louise... You go. You go. You know, one of the pastors that I follow, social media and everything else, Craig Groeschel, he's the one that inspired this whole series. He says, the more you do, the more pain you'll experience. If you want to make a difference in this world, you'll have to endure more pain than those who don't. Who's ready? <laughs> Who's ready to sign up? The more you do, the more pain you'll experience. Who's in? Hands up. Come on. Who's in? Who's ready to jump? If you want to live a life that nobody criticizes, here's what you got to do. Are you ready? Do nothing. Just do nothing. <laughs> Point made. You might as well do something. <laughs> There's the right way to give someone something to talk about in the wrong way. But you make the great point. <laughs> Anything significant you do will always be met with criticism, even by good people. Because even to Christians, some things that God has to do, are you really sure that's what God said to you? I mean, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Jonah. 
God says to Jonah, hey, I got some bad news. I want you to go to Nineveh and tell the people of Nineveh that because of their sin, I'm going to destroy them. And would you go and be that prophet, that messenger, and let's go. What does Jonah do? He goes the other direction. He goes as far as he can. He hits water. He gets on a boat. He says, take me as far away from Nineveh as possible. And God says, look, the plans I have for you are a little bit better than the plans you have for yourself, Jonah. And so a big storm comes up. And the men on the boat are all from different faith backgrounds. And the captain says to the men on the boat, would you please pray out to your God, whatever God that is, that he would save us. And Jonah is sleeping in the boat. And Jonah goes, he wakes, they wake him up and says, would you wake up and pray to your God that this would stop? And he goes, oh, this is my fault. The storm that we're in, that storm that you're facing, because this is what happens, right? Our disobedience to God has an effect on others. As a parent, if I were to walk away from my faith, what does that mean for my kids? They're going to follow where dad goes. Our disobedience doesn't just affect ourselves, it affects the people around us. And so Jonah's on this boat, and there's a storm coming, and say, Jonah, wake up and pray to your God that you'd be saved. And he goes, oh, this is my fault. And he says, I'll take responsibility for, for it. Throw me overboard, I'm ready to die. This is my fault. He gets suicidal. That's essentially what this story is. But this is how amazing God is. He says, okay, Jonah, I see your... You're a bit. I'm not a poker player, but I see the chips you put on the table. I'm going to raise you death for life. And so they throw Jonah overboard. The seas calm. The ship continues on his journey. And Jonah lays in the water. He's ready to die. And God says, not so fast. Sends a big fish. Best fishing story in the Bible, where the fish catches the man. Fish gobbles him up and is dark. I, said, I think I shared this story last week. Three days later, spits him up on the shore after Jonah finally says, okay, God, forgive me for what I've done. Here's my repentance, God. I realized I was literally going this way when, God, you told me to go this way. That's all repentance means. The word repent is really simple. The whole, the whole story of the Bible is really simple. It means I was going this way, and God says, no, I want you to repent, and I literally just go this way. I can follow the ways of people and please them as much as I want, or I can be obedient to God and I can go this way. That's all repentance means, is simply to turn. Believe that the plans God has for you are good. Believe that God is good. And stop pleasing people. Stop going this way and just start walking towards the things that God has for your life. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's going to be right. Becoming obsessed with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget about what God thinks. But the only voice that matters is what God actually thinks. Number one, if you're not ready to get shot at, you're not ready to be, get used by God. Thankfully, we live in a country where generally we shouldn't be shot at for our faith. Extraordinarily... An extraordinary act of God often starts with an ordinary act of obedience. So we've made that decision. Okay, God, I want to please you. I want to do what's right. Now what? About a year ago, I did two messages on what's next. If you want the link, I'll give it to you. But again, it's on the website. 
I've made this decision to make this change. Now what? Now what do I do, God? What does this next step look like? Think about it this way. The Savior of the world was born when two teenage kids said yes to God. That's because that's what they were. In that culture, that day and age, they got married as teenagers. They changed the world because they said yes to God in a simple act of obedience. And God does something extraordinary. The angel gives no details to them. All the angel says is, this is what's going to happen. Mary's response, I'm the Lord's servant. She doesn't ask how, she doesn't ask why, and the angel doesn't give her that information. Something as silly as, well, am I allowed to spank Jesus as a toddler when he doesn't listen? Am I allowed to do those things, angel? Or since he's the Messiah, like, is he going to be a perfect baby? Well, we don't know the answers to these questions. Uh, I was taught, and I, I, I don't know why, it's kind of a ridiculous teaching. I was taught in school that when Jesus was born because he was the Messiah and he was God, he didn't cry when he was born. I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure Jesus cried when he was born. He was human after all. We know that Jesus cried when he was an adult, when his friend died. We know that when Jesus went on the cross, he experienced great amounts of pain. We know before he got to that moment in his life, he was so distraught over what his next step of obedience to his father would be that his sweat turned to blood. Because he was in such agony and such pain, walking in obedience. So Jesus was a human person. And because Jesus was obedient to his father, he gives us the opportunity to be obedient as well. You know, sometimes not knowing the answers to our question builds trust. You don't understand, you don't have to understand completely to obey Immediately. Outcome is whose responsibility? God's. Obedience is mine. We have no idea what God is setting into motion when you obey and take that step of faith. When God puts an idea and a dream in your heart, in your mind, you have no idea how far that's going to go. We have no idea sometimes how is this going to happen, what's going to happen next. We don't always know, and that builds trust. We don't have to understand completely to trust and obey immediately. Verse 24, Matthew chapter 1. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. It's no wonder that God chose Mary and Joseph. Even after these crazy intense moments, they both responded to the angel with obedience. And because of their obedience, they were blessed. You have no idea what you set into motion when you say yes to God. You have no idea what's about to happen the moment you say yes to God. You have no idea the impact of that moment will have for the rest of eternity on your life and the lives of the people around you. We could go into story after story of, of one insignificant little moment where someone was obedient to God and it literally changed the course of history. We could tell those stories. You can look them up. We can find out. The what isn't always as important as much as it is the why. When someone asks you why, you just say, because it's obedience and it's pleasing to God, my Heavenly Father. Do not be afraid. 
Do not fear of what people think of you when you say yes to God. Do not be afraid to walk in obedience. People are going to throw rocks. People are going to say things. You're going to have to go through some hard times, but do not be afraid. Jesus tells us, for I am with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Jesus, for your obedience as you walked this earth. Lord, you showed us how to live. God, I thank you so much for the obedience of Mary and Joseph to say yes to you, to bring the Messiah of the world, to take the punishment, O God, for our sin, which was death. I thank you for their willingness, O God, to say yes to you. Lord, would you give us the courage today to say yes, to take a step of faith? God, would you give us the strength, O Lord, to endure whatever would come our way? Lord, when someone points the finger, when someone says something, even if someone were to physically threaten harm, would you give us the peace of God? Would you let us and remind us, O God, that you are good? And Lord, would you reveal, O God, as we say yes to you, would you very clearly, Lord, outline what our next step is? God, I thank you so much for every person, Lord, that is a part of this experience this morning. Lord, we know that as we choose to follow you, Lord, that you live inside of us. So wherever we go, God, we can experience the presence of God. And so today, Lord, I pray that we would all, in this room or online, say yes to you, God. And that we would continually experience the presence and the love of God, no matter where we go. I thank you for this time we've had together. I thank you for this season, O oh God, of hope, of peace, and of joy. I pray, Lord, even in the midst of these trials that we face, that we would experience never-ending joy because you are good. Lord, you are good and your love endures forever. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you are interested, last week I sent out an email with sort of a summary and some questions to ask, kind of a talk it over. You could talk it over at home, talk it over even just to yourself, answer some questions. And if you want to get on that email list, uh, just fill out one of the Connect cards or our church directory, and you're automatically added to that list. Uh, or just shoot me an email saying, hey, I didn't get it, Pastor Gary. Just gary at the northshore.church. I'm really easy to find. I'll make sure to get it to you. And, of course, it'll be on our website as well. So it'll be on northshore.church slash Christmas. It'll be posted there. But if you are wanting to take a next step and you want to know a little bit more what it means to follow Jesus, connect with Pastor Katie or myself, and we want to help you take that next step. But go on. Don't care what people think of you. Think of what God thinks of you. And have a merry, merry, wonderful Christmas. And we'll see you here real soon. God bless.